At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Amen. Well, good morning. What a beautiful day, isn't it? Which is going to be followed by a beautiful week. I'm excited. The sun is shining and it brings me great joy. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for the heat and the sun and all that comes with it. I love this weather and all that goes with it. But this morning, before we get started, um, as we're coming up on Memorial Day tomorrow, uh, a day where we remember uh, those who gave their life um, for freedom, for this country, and for us. And um, I just want to say thank you to anyone that um, serves in the military. If you serve in the military or have served in the military, would you just stand so we can give you a round of applause and thank you? Thank you, guys. Man, we so appreciate each one of you. We appreciate the men and women that um, literally fight for our freedom. And so we're so, so thankful for you. And if today's a day where maybe you're remembering a family member that um, was lost um, in that, and, and we just want to come around to you and pray and, and thank, thank them for their service. Thank you for that and uh, just uh, bless you with that. But man, we're so grateful for each one of you. Well, this morning, I want to ask you a question. What motivates you? Like what actually moves you? When you think about that, when we think about the things that motivate us or move us, whether it's, hey, I, I, I'm motivated to get out of bed in the morning and go to work, or maybe you're not, maybe you need to be drug out of bed to go to work, but you do it anyway, you go to work, or maybe you're in school and, and you're motivated to go to school and get done with school or whatever it may be, you're motivated. Why? Because you get a paycheck on the end of it, Right? You're motivated because you know what the end result is. You get a paycheck or you're going to graduate or maybe it's summer and you're, you know, you went through the winter and like me, you put on a few winter pounds and summer's coming. So we're motivated to start working out because we got to, you know, we got to have the, uh, the dad bod or, or whatever it is, but we're motivated. We all of a sudden start working out because summer's right around the corner and it's coming and we need to be ready for it. But we're motivated in that, and we do that because we actually know what the end result is or what we want as the end result sometimes. We know it's at the end. And so the question I want us to wrestle with today is, does what we believe about the return of Christ, does it impact how we live today? Does it change how we actually live today? Does it move us? Does it motivate us as we know the end result? Does it cause any difference? 
Does it move us in any other way? How does it motivate us? Man, when I think about the return of Christ, what will it look like? When will it be? Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about, man, when will Christ return for his second coming? What, what is this miraculous day going to look like? We have it all right here. A lot of people debate or, or kind of come up with what they think of when Christ will return or how it's all going to go down. And, but the what, what is it, what is going to happen, we need to understand what will happen. We should be moved and motivated through it to live our lives on mission. And I pray, my prayer is, is that as we go through this, as we even go through this next several weeks through Revelation, as we start to unfold this, that we'll actually be moved and motivated to live our lives differently and live them on mission. We're in week two of this series called All Things New, where we're looking at uh, Revelation and the return of Christ. And, and what we hope is that it will impact our lives here and now, but as we look at the return, as we look at the end. See, Christianity has faced many trials in the last several years, right? Several decades. If you think about that, if you think about what does it mean to be a personal evangelist anymore? What does it mean to live your life on mission? What does it mean to live out what you believe and be a personal evangelist? It almost doesn't exist anymore. If you look at, at, at the church, it's on a, the decline. Or, or if we look at sin, sin is rampant in our culture today. All of these things, all the things that we think through and all these things that are happening right in front of our face often can cause us to lose heart. They can also cause us to kind of think that the world might be winning, right? So the question is, how can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges that we face each day in our modern culture? And how do we continue the mission that God has called each one of us to as believers, as followers of Christ. How do we stay motivated? My answer would be this, by remembering the end. But by remembering the end of the story. Because we know how it ends, right? John literally gives the story away when he writes Revelation. He gives it up. It's like uh, watching a good movie and someone says, hey, I know what happens in the end, right? Here it is. And they just lay it out there, right? Spoiler alert. But this isn't a spoiler alert. This is like, we know what the end happened, what happens in the end. We know how it all unfolds. It should motivate us when we know that. It should give us hope when it seems like all hope is lost in the world around us. So today we're looking at Revelation 19, 11 through 21. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It'll be on the screen. But Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Last week we looked at the first part of this chapter and with the marriage feast of the Lamb. And then right after, we see this vision of this warrior king riding on a white horse, ready to rage war. And that's where we pick up today. Now there's many... Or, or, or many people that debate around this and, and how it all happens. But one of the things is that we know, we all agree on, is that one day Jesus will return. The second coming is coming. It's going to happen that Jesus will defeat God's enemies. We know that to be true. But again, before we jump in, I want to wrestle with this question. 
Does what we believe about the return of Christ impact how we live today? I want you to think about that question as we walk through these next few verses. Hopefully it does. As we see Christian or Christ's return and the glorious victory that it is, hopefully it'll change the way we live today. So I just want to go through a couple things and, and, and show you a couple things about uh, the second coming of Jesus that should impact our lives. And the first thing I want us to see is that the victory or the victorious king, I want us to see this victorious king. If we pick up in verse 11 through 16, it says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in, ro- in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, when I hear this, I I love this picture that John gives us here in verse 11. 11 through 16. Literally, the heavens open up, right? Can you imagine what this is going to look like? Like like the clouds split, the sky opens, and all of a sudden, heaven just appears. It opens up. Man, just a few chapters ago, we see in chapter chapter 4, verses 1, where it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. But this this is different. Before, it gives us a glance at the reality of heaven, but this time heaven actually opens up and we see this heavenly figure appear. We see Jesus appear on a white horse, it says. That's significant. It's beginning the movement that continues to the next couple chapters and, and then reaches the climax in chapter 21 where we'll see the heavenly city comes to earth. And we see this beautiful picture of Jesus as the victorious king or the warrior or conqueror. And the image that John gives us here in the next few verses is incredible where we'll see. It says Jesus is riding on a white horse and that's super significant. Why a white horse? This is an image of Jesus as the conqueror or as a conqueror, right? He's a conquering warrior. It was a normal practice of conquering emperors or generals in Roman culture as they rode a white horse onto the battlefield. It was a symbol of victory. And here, Jesus is already on a white horse, and the battle hasn't even been fought yet. And it says the one riding is called faithful and true, unlike all of the other leaders of God's people throughout the history of of leaders that we see in our life today, of maybe people that we put trust in that lead us and and they fail, right? Because they're human. Unlike that, it says that Jesus is called faithful and true. That he doesn't lead out of self-interest, is faithful to his promises, and he will never let us down. And then in all of this, Jesus is righteous in his judgment 
We know this. And then he gives us a, 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 these descriptors of Jesus as the victorious warrior king. Let's look at these a little bit closer. The first thing he says is that his eyes are like a, a flame of fire. What does this mean? It shows that he is pure, that nothing can be hidden from the gaze of Jesus, that he sees all things, that Jesus is all-knowing. Then it says on his head are many diadems. It's in uh, contrast to the seven diadems or or crowns of the dragon in 12.3. And then ten diadems of the the beast in 13.1. His many diadems are a sign of authority or dominion or sovereignty. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. It's showing that he's divine, that all authority is all sovereign. And then it says he has a name written that no one knows but himself. See, most believe that this is a secret name whose meaning is veiled from from created beings, that he hides it from them, that that it points to the the divinity of Christ. And it shows that there are aspects of Christ that we may never know, that he's divine. Then it says he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, some believe that this is a reference to Isaiah 63, 1 through 3, where the blood of Jesus' robe, that is of his enemies, where he says, "Why, why is your apparel red and your garment like his who treads in the winepress. And God replied to them, I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained my apparel. See, this makes sense because of what we see right in, in verse 15 where he says, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. So it could be that, or, or others believe that it was actually the blood that he shed on the cross that he defeated death, sin, He defeated hell, and that it's the blood of what he shed on the cross. But either way, we can be sure that Jesus conquers his enemies, whether he's shedding his blood or shedding their blood, that he conquers his enemies, and that Jesus is the sacrificial Savior. And then it says the name of the king is the word of God, that he's the authoritative word of God by which the nation will be judged. See, Jesus is the word of God. This connects right to verse 15 where it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. Now literally, does a sword come out of his mouth? It says, as the word of God, Jesus carries out God's judgment on the earth. He defeats his enemies, not by a physical defeat, but he speaks it or he he literally um, declares God's judgment against them by the word of his mouth, by the word of God that Jesus is a righteous warrior. And then it says he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, that he will rule justly with a rod of iron, meaning he's, he's coming to destroy. He's not coming to govern. Jesus is a just judge. And then it says, lastly, that on his robe and on his thigh is a name written. And that name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That Jesus is the King and Lord. This is an incredible description of who this 
individual is on a white horse, that who Jesus is on this white horse that he's coming to conquer. He's coming to rage war. He's a warrior king. Now I want all of you to close your eyes. Nobody cheating. Everyone close your eyes. And I just want you to think in your mind for one second. Think about Jesus. What is the picture that you get in your mind when you think of Jesus? Maybe it's a baby Jesus in a manger, this sweet, gentle, newborn baby. Maybe it is a full-grown man, Jesus, that he's got long hair and he's got a blue sash and he wears a white robe and he's loving and he's kind. He's forgiving. Is that the picture of Jesus that you get? You can open your eyes. Some of you fell asleep. (laughs) But when we think about Jesus, what is this picture of Jesus that we get? The one that we see all through the gospel of Jesus when when he's born and he becomes a man and then he dies on the cross. This this loving, caring Jesus that that is so patient and kind and he he, he walks around loving people and and there's little kids on his lap and, and he's loving all people. And then it says he's coming as a warrior. He's coming victorious. He's coming as the king. He's here in this scene as a conquering warrior. He's conquering his enemies. Is that the picture that we get? See, seeing Jesus both ways gives us a holistic view of who he is. It's okay to see him both ways. It gives us this holistic view of who he is. It gives us a holistic view of of who God is. That he's gentle, he's kind, he's loving, but he's also a warrior. He's victorious, he conquers. And when we think about that, what does this picture do to us? How does it move us? When we think about this picture of Jesus, what does it move us to? Again, does what we believe about the return of Christ, impact how we live today. See, this passage shows us that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. That one day Jesus will return as the victorious king, but in the meantime, until he returns, what does he call us to do? He calls us as his believers, as his disciples, he calls us to make his kingdom known. This is our calling. This is what he has given us to do when we become a believer of Jesus Christ, when we become a son or daughter of Jesus. He calls us to go and make more disciples, right? Where it says, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we are called to do. See, the same God, this same king in the Revelation 19 that we see, this warrior, has given us his authority to go out into the world and bring as many people as possible into his kingdom. That that's what we are called to do in the meantime. We don't just sit on our thumbs and wait for him to return. 
That's not what he's called us to do. He's called us to make disciples. And what weapons does he give us? Because I like weapons. But when we look at this passage, the only weapon that Jesus uses was what? The Word of God. The only weapon that he actually uses is the Word of God, the sword, right? It says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, this is the same sword, the same Word of God that God calls us to take up to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's the only weapon mentioned when he says, put on the full armor of God. Do you see any other weapons mentioned? It's the only weapon that he says, take the word of God, stand up against the schemes of the devil, hide it in your heart, bring it to yourself, memorize it, know it, so that when you need it, it's there. It's the weapon that he gives us, the word of God, and we need to take it seriously. We need to actually be studying the word of God so that we are ready when temptation comes. We are ready when the trials come. That we have the word of God hidden in our heart. Man, church, when we see this, when we see Jesus as the victorious king, does it motivate us and move us to action? It causes us to worship and share the good news with those around us, hopefully. The second thing I want to see here is see the victorious battle. When we pick up in verse 17, it says this. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown into or thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the, by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Wow. I don't know about you, but have you ever thought about some of the things that are in the Bible? <laughs> some of the things you read, some of the things that we study, the reality, the stories that are in here. Sometimes they paint pictures in my head and I'm like, wow, what? Right? It's like a scene out of a horror movie or out of like, you know, National Geographic maybe. I don't know. It's pretty wild, though. See, we're now at the point of the battle. This scene of an angel standing in the sun, probably because this angel was gleaming like it was so bright, right? Calling all the birds out of the sky to come down and feast. 
Come eat the flesh of all these things, the kings, the, the captains, the men, the horses and the riders, eat it all. This crazy scene, in my mind, it reminds me of like, I don't know if any of you guys are Home Alone fans, but it reminds me of the scene in Home Alone where, where they're in the park and the lady, the homeless lady takes all the bird seed and throws it on, you know, Harry and Marv, right? And then all of a sudden they're screaming and on the ground and all these birds are just, I mean, that times a million. It blows my mind. And he calls all these birds to come feed. They're coming to eat their flesh. And what's crazy is this is all before the battle even began. It's literally declaring that the battle's already over, that it's won, that, that, that there's no need for any of this. Just come down. All the birds, eat the flesh. Victory is already secured. See, this is the second feast in chapter 19. As we saw the first feast last week, right? There was the marriage feast of the Lamb in verse 9. And now there is the, the great feast of God here in verse 17. In the first feast, right? In the first feast, the, the redeemed are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And now the wicked are invited to this feast. But what's the difference? They're the main course, right? See, the battle is over before it even starts. See, we see in verse 19, though, where the battle begins. The battle of Armageddon, as it says in 1616, says, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So this battle begins, and it says that the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, with their armies, they gathered to make war on Jesus and his army. See, this is a, a culmination of Revelation 16, 13 through 14, where it says, I, And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the, world, of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Where three demonic spirits were released from the mouth of the dragon, who, who is Satan, the beast, who is the Antichrist, and, and the false prophet to assemble the kings of the world for this great battle. But what do we see here? This battle's over already. It's over before it even begins. Because what does it say? Imagine what this battle looked like, right? Here you have this beast and his army, and they come and they're ready for battle. And then you have Jesus, the Messiah, and his army. And, and these two armies are standing on the battlefield, or maybe they're up here and, and the battle, they're down here. I don't know what it looks like, but they're coming from heaven. And, and all of a sudden you got this battle that's ready to go, and these two armies are standing there, like ready to go, right? What does it say? It says the beast and the false prophet are captured, done, and thrown into the lake of fire, alive. So they're gone, which means there's only one left from the false trinity, and that's Satan, who will join them right after the millennium. In, in chapter 20, we see 
And then it says in verse 21, it says, And the rest, all those who were deceived, the kings and their armies, were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And then it says, And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. See, the battle is over. Jesus wins without even trying here. It's incredible, right? I want us to go back. Look look at Jesus' army. Remember what we just read earlier in verse 14? It says this. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Coming to the battle? See, believers... Jesus' army, they weren't in battle clothes, right? They weren't ready for battle. They were following him on white horses also. See, that's not, that's not what you go to battle with. Like fine linens and, and, and white and, and these things. You don't go to battle like that. Why? Why were they dressed this way? Because it was already over. See, what they were doing is they were just walking in the wake of the battle victory. That it was nothing that they did. It was nothing that they could do. There was nothing that that they were going to contribute to this battle. That you had the two armies standing there ready to go to battle. And God or, or Jesus just says, done. It's over. And then as his followers in fine linens, white, pure, White horses. They get to walk in the wake of the battle victory. Have you ever had somebody fight your battle and you just get to walk in the victory? That's what Jesus does for each one of us as believers. When we think about that, when we read these words, it's pretty significant for us today. As believers, we live in this reality that the battle has already been won. Colossians 2, 14 through 15 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses, nothing you could do, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus already won. He's already disarmed all the rulers and authorities and put them to shame when he triumphs over sin, death, and hell. See, we get to share in this victory. As believers in Christ, we get to walk in the wake of the victory. We were dead in our trespasses, it says. There's nothing we could do but God sent his son to die for us. God sent his son to die in our place for our sin, to wipe us clean, pure before him, to forgive us of all of our sins, We walk in obedience because the battle is already won on our behalf. But I want you to just think for a minute. Maybe today you're out here and you're like, I'm not a part of that. 
I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I don't have a relationship with him. Maybe today that's just what you need to do. But I want us as believers in the church, I want us to start thinking right now. I want us to think of one person, just one person that you know needs Jesus. I would doubt that, that you can't come up with somebody. I can come up with several in my mind right now, faces that I actually can see in my mind, that they need Jesus. And one day, what side of the battle are they going to be standing on? Where will they be? Because we all have those people in our lives that we know we need to share the love of Christ with. And, and this is what God calls us to as his disciples. See, we don't know the day or time or when it's going to happen. We don't know when Christ will return. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Today, death comes, as we talked about earlier, like death is a sobering thing, right? We don't know when it comes for us. And so we have to be ready. We have to actually be moving and motivated to share the love of Christ. See, Last week, last Sunday, I was sitting right in that chair during the first service, and, and, and five minutes before I was supposed to go on stage, I get a text message that my uncle had passed away. And so this week, as we went to the funeral, we, we get to the funeral, and it's this beautiful funeral, but it's so sobering to me that death is a reality, that we are not guaranteed tomorrow, that death is real. Every one of us will one day die, and if Christ returns first, are we ready? It's a sobering thing. And what I love about my uncle's funeral is we're at the funeral and my, my uncle had his own faults, just like every one of us. But he was pretty much his whole life, he had gone through kidney failure and, and he had lost one kidney and then he was on dialysis and then another kidney failed and he was on dialysis, dialysis again and, and his brother was able to give him a kidney. And so he had a kidney from his brother for the last 10 years. And his health slowly was declining. But what I love about my uncle is in the last 10 years, when death became a reality, he changed his life completely. He was a believer before. But the way he lived his life in the last 10 years, I cannot tell you, it was remarkable. I couldn't have a conversation with him without him mentioning Jesus. He was an advocate for, for women, trying to help them out of uh, human trafficking. He sat on the board. He devoted the rest of his life to these things. Why? Because he knew the end result. He, he knew what was happening in the end. And no matter what life threw at him, he knew that one day he was going to spend eternity with Jesus. And now he's standing before God, walking with his Savior. What a beautiful picture that is. But the truth of it is this, is that, you know, we share the gospel a lot. That's what we do. We're a church. But the truth of the matter is, is that where are you going to be standing one day on the battlefield? Because it is a reality. It is true. Where are your friends and family going to be standing? God calls us as believers 
to go and make disciples. And so, does what we believe about the return of Christ, does it impact how we live today? Or do we just come back into church every Sunday, hear a message, sing some songs, go back out into the community, and never do anything? We kind of hide it in fear that somebody might judge us. Maybe for you, you do. Maybe you go out and you're an evangelist. Praise God. But for some of us, maybe we need to step it up. We need to love people more. We need to show the love of Christ to those around us so that one day we can get as many people as we can to go with us. As many people as we can on that battlefield. So I want to challenge you today as you go. How does this impact your life when you understand the reality of who Jesus is? The reality of what's coming in the end. We pray. Father God, I thank you again for just the opportunity we have to gather and worship you this morning. Father, I'm I, just so thankful that, God, we can know the end. The Father God, we don't have to worry that as things come at us in this world, that, that Lord, there's trials and there's things that we walk through. But Father God, you have won. Lord, you're a victorious warrior. But you're also a loving God who gave your life for us. So Father God, I, I pray that in this moment, that as we each examine our own lives, that God, it would move us and motivate us to go out and share the love of Christ. God, it would move us to maybe live differently, that it would move us to have a sense of urgency, that we don't know when you're coming back, God, that, that we don't know what tomorrow holds, that death can come at any moment, that there would be an urgency in how we live. That, Father God, we would go out and, and, and make disciples that we would bring the lost in, Father, so that one day we can take as many as we can with you. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that lives on mission like that, that we would be people that live on mission. Father God, may it motivate us and move us this morning. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.